Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Call Me Crazy. Y'all can call me Baz. Um, it is another week, almost a new month. A lot has happened. I'm ready. Wow. I don't know if you can hear my family in the background, but they're watching soccer. My dad's yelling. What? <laughs> Anyways, it's Sunday morning in my household. They're watching soccer. Super African family. Um, but I'm joined by a special guest this week. I'm joined by Suad, um, who is one of my dear friends. And also we've just bonded off of like different, I feel like different experiences, but just our common love for knowledge when it comes to psychology and mental health and wellness. Um, you also went to of T, um, but you went to the Mississauga campus and you double majored yeah. in psychology and political science, which I think is so dope because my sister did poli-sci um so it's like both of us together um and then many of you might also know her as a content creator I think that's how I first saw you knew of you was through like social media I was just like in awe with the way you approached like your fashion it's very it's like blogging but like from such an artistic point of view and you are almost like this um I'm very much about like not taboo breaking, but being in spaces and occupying spaces that aren't necessarily meant for you, but standing out. And you do that with your fashion. Um, You're a modest fashion um, stylist, blogger, content creator, and you do it in like such a bold and beautiful way that a lot of people might not usually see, or a lot of women who do modest fashion do it in their own way. I love it. Um, I, I know you used to go by modern uh Sudanian was that right yeah it was modern Sudanian I feel so gassed you guys that was so sweet like I've never been introduced before (laughs) and usually when I introduce myself I just say this is my name this is how old I am and this is what I'm right now it's like the extent of it but yeah um it used to be modern Sudania my original purpose with starting a public Instagram page was to explore my cultural identity. Mm. Um, I'm Sudanese and Filipino. I feel very much so closer to the Sudanese side of my family. So I really wanted to kind of navigate my cultural experience in a way that would make me feel more included because Mm. being mixed race and having moved around quite a bit, not looking like I come from any specific nation or not looking like I am um, Muslim or, you know, and not being able to take control of how I appear to the world kind of forced me to want to just figure out what it is that I want to appear as. So I started off with modern Sudania. My goal was just to meet Sudanese people, basically. Um, and I, I guess in that, I was erasing the Filipino side of my culture, which I started to meet. But it was, it was awesome. When I felt like I got everything that I wanted out of it, I went to just my name, which is just Saad Hassan on Instagram and all other platforms. Um, Cause I literally was modern Sudanese on all platforms. So I had to change it on all platforms. And I'm just kind of just, you know, as you said, doing whatever. <laughs> Navigating, creating, like, I swear you create content that could be um, literally like campaigns. Like you and your sister, I'm literally like shook every time you guys post. Yeah, it. we put a lot of effort into our curated, into our curated content. But I definitely want to come across as like 
an online big sister. Like, I don't want you to see me and think, you know, I'm far out of reach or out of touch with reality. I'm very much so very normal. (laughs) No, and you're literally a big sister. I get that vibe. You're very much like, you have very much of a, not approachable, but very, yeah, like a sisterly vibe. Like you're very like nurturing, caring, like just so like, just a warm energy about you. And I yeah, think. I love that. That's the goal. Thank you so much. That means so much to me. <laughs> Definitely, Death. You, you and your sister, both of you. Um, before we do get started, I want to know, like, what usually inspires you when it comes to, like, your content creation? I don't know if I've ever asked you that. Can I be totally honest? Right now, I'm playing with a lot of color. My inspiration is birds. Oh, I love that. So, yeah, I have, like, a bunch of pictures of birds saved on my phone. And if there's like a makeup look I want to try, I'll refer to those photos. Um, But that's to say I'll be inspired by whatever phase I am in my life. Mm -hmm. So the reason I started being obsessed with birds and their many colors is because I would just sit outside during quarantine and just like watch the birds in my neighborhood. And sometimes there'll be like a red, you know, woodpecker or like a blue jay. And they're just so beautiful. But I'll say, um, you know, my inspiration are very much so driven by whatever's happening around me. Like when I was struggling, struggling, sorry, with my cultural identity, that's when I really wanted to learn more about Sudani culture, um, the traditional dress. When I was really into like, you know, I had a phase where I was very into rap music that kind of would reflect in my style. I'd wear like hoodies with like Tupac and Biggie on them and just like dress like I was in the 90s. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then um, it's just whatever it is that I'm going through, my style will change to that. So... I have trouble following trends just because I can't relate to every single trend that's out there, which I feel like maybe sometimes my content can't be as relatable as, as another person would as, as like a fashion blogger. If you're not really doing things that are on trend, you seem out of touch with the trends. But if the current trend isn't a reflection of what's going on around me or what's going on internally, I can't just hop on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like that's a big differentiator because mm-hmm. I just want to be normal. I don't want to just do what's trending. The most recent thing we did was just fun. Like we did the Vogue challenge. Yeah. That was just for fun, but the photos came out really dope. It was a really good time. Yeah. So we just, we just try to have fun. I love it. No, honestly, you saying that, I actually notice it, but I think if anything that makes you stand out because unfortunately social media it's a lot of like replication of trends and like very similar ways of taking a picture very similar ways of editing which is fine like you know it works but um staying authentic is I think what people gravitate to right because authenticity is so important um and that's what people feel it creates more of a personal connection um but I love the bird thing I I love that so much isn't that so random yeah but I love it so much um so usually I'll ask an icebreaker but I feel like that was kind of my icebreaker for you just kind of what um what inspires you the bird thing like I'm still shook I need to like because I always wonder like creatives like what inspires them usually they'll say like I don't know like trends social media stuff like that but like you win yeah. <laughs> yeah, this it's definitely different. My sister still makes fun of me till this day. Um I wanted to know why you chose psychology when you studied it. 
Um, honestly, when I, I did IB in high school, which was pretty intense. Oh and I went to high school. Yeah, I went to high school in Dubai. So I was going to like a American private school in the last two years were IB. And what you decide to do for IB, like what you decide to do for the last two years are a big indicator of what you're likely going to do in your undergrad. So I was trying to decide what I want to do career-wise when I was in 10th grade. So I was like 15, trying to figure out what I want to do for the rest of my life. I loved psychology. I loved the idea of psychology, of wanting to just learn more, be more aware, be more understanding. Um, That's what was kind of driving me to that. So I studied it in IB and then I graduated with pretty good grades. So then what I did, I applied to each university for a different program. And then depending on what university I got into, I told myself I'm going to do that program. So I applied to like Waterloo for business. I applied to UTM for psychology and I applied to, I think downtown, I applied to psychology as well, like U of T St. George and, you know, like a variety of different things at different universities. I happened to get into UTM. I got into other universities as well, but because that's the one that my parents wanted me to go to since my sister was going there, that's how I was like, okay, let me just do this. So I did psychology because at that point, after doing it for two years, it was what I was comfortable with. I was like, I'm good at this. I've been getting good grades. I can do this only to learn that it's just so much more intense and what it's setting you up for wasn't really what I wanted to do. Like I would talk to people who were like in third or fourth year Mm -hmm. and they're working with professors because they want to work towards being a psychologist or a counselor or a social worker. And they want to, you know, get good references for grad school. And they're telling me that I should probably do that as well. And I'm just like, oh, but I don't want to go do that. Like, I don't want to be a counselor. Like I don't see myself um, in that realm to that same extent. I don't see myself getting a PhD in this. Like, I don't really see myself doing this for that. Like, I don't see myself doing what you want to do, right? Mm -hmm. So I started to just reevaluate and think, maybe this isn't really for me. Mm -hmm. But I still strongly believe that everyone should take at least one class at the university level if they choose to do university in psychology. It is a big eye-opener because it forces you to think outside yourself. Mm -hmm. It's not just about your experience, when you learn, especially for developmental psychology, which is my favorite part, when you learn all the different factors that can influence your learning, not just your behavior, but it affects what you learn, you'll be more understanding because how can you not be? Like if you know that, oh, this person maybe was exposed to this in their childhood, which has led them to adapt to this skill and now they display their behavior in this way, you'll exercise more understanding, maybe be more considerate, more open-minded. Um, that's why That's why I love it and that's why I did it. No, I agree. I think everyone should definitely take a course or educate themselves um and it also breaks the stigma too right just knowledge um breaks down stigma because now you're realizing like no this isn't like there's a whole field that exists it's not a made-up thing it's not um you know this thing that people just quote-unquote complain about or ungrateful like it very much is a biological cognitive um thing and a lot of people struggle but there's also a lot of knowledge behind it it's still a very new science but um, 
it's also really interesting just to understand yourself too. Like that's why I did psychology is selfishly. Like I didn't understand um, a lot of things that I was going through in psychology. Let me. I don't think that's selfish find, at all. Yeah. Find, yeah. Find me, um, allowed me to find insight within myself and just kind of get a better understanding. And then because of that, I could understand others better too. I love that. I love people who are knowledge seeking because that means that a conversation with them doesn't end at a disagreement. If they're seeking knowledge, they're seeking to understand. The more you understand yourself, the more you can, you know, as you're saying, understand other people. So I love that. Yeah. I'm st- and I'm still learning. And I think that's what um, this conversation that we're going to have is really important. Um, both of us kind of said that we still don't really have the answers Um, but it's a conversation that needs to be had. Um, So we're essentially going to discuss how to be a good friend or support system to anyone who is going through um, a mental health um, struggle or has a disorder or just any type of hardship. Um, This has always been on my list just because I know how it is to be on one end of being the person. And I always felt like I was a burden and I've experienced different types of support systems. I've experienced like amazing support systems. And I'm just like, how did you even know that that's what I needed? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I've experienced, you know, other support systems that weren't as, um, I don't know what the word is. They just weren't it. (laughs) They just weren't it. Weren't as supportive. Yeah. And you know what? Looking back, I don't blame anyone because I also understand like no one teaches you this. You know, mm-hmm. what I mean? there's not, there's no rule book. Like you were saying, we don't. We're, we literally were looking up on the internet trying to figure it out, and it's like there's nothing really that teaches you this. So it's very much um, just seeing, I guess, case to case. But there are different things that we can kind of discuss that might be helpful um, for anyone who is looking to be a better support system to someone around them or just understanding um that whole area so um I wanted to kind of bring it back to like developmental psychology and just ask you like what was your relationship or understanding of mental health growing up so I moved around quite a bit I was born in Dubai. I was living with my extended family. So I was having a lot of exposure to cultures. I had a lot of different caretakers. I had um, different nurturing relationships. So if I felt like my relationship with one individual in my family was lacking, I was getting that from someone else. And then suddenly all of that changed when I was like six or seven years old. Um, My family moved to Ottawa, but it was just my mom and my siblings. Mm -hmm. So there is... I think at that point there was four of us. So it's like, we're all very close in age. So it's like four little, um, four little kids. The youngest is like two or three. The oldest is like eight. That's young, right? To, for um, her to be operating like a single mom, even though she wasn't because she's in this new environment, having to deal with all these different things. And I started to realize at that point, that nurturing thing that I was getting before, I wasn't really getting anymore. Now her focus was on providing, her focus was on making sure that we were clothed and dressed and fed. Um, so I just wasn't having a great time and I didn't really understand why. And it affects your your growth and your development so much, especially at that age. So you know, eventually sixth grade, I think I finished sixth grade and then I moved back to Dubai. So then again, I had that exposure. I had, you know, a little bit um, 
a little bit more happening around me, a little bit more warmth and love happening around me. But after five years of not having that, it took a lot of adjusting. I didn't really know how to talk to my dad, maybe. Like, I didn't really know how to talk to my aunt or my grandparents. Like, um, so I was just confused. I was confused about why I was feeling the way that I was feeling. I was going through, I would say I was depressed. I had a period of depression. I won't say that I um, experienced depression on an ongoing basis or experienced anxiety on an ongoing basis, but definitely that move back made me realize what I missed. So I was not in a good space. I was only in seventh grade, you know, that's pretty young. And then I was also starting to go through puberty. So your hormones are having a really big toll on your development. Um, So I went to my dad and I was like, I want to go to therapy. Like I want to go see a therapist. That's so much Wow. In seventh grade. So um, I knew that I needed to talk to someone and I knew that I wasn't getting that from my parents. And I knew that maybe my family wasn't going to understand. And my siblings were very young. Um, and then obviously in my friend group, that kind of conversation in seventh grade is a little bit premature, right? Um, so I asked to have a therapist. And of course, because of cultural boundaries or a lack of understanding or whatever, I wasn't able to do that. So maybe that's what drove me to explore it in a, in a way that was nurturing, that was also like Tumblr age. Oh my I don't God. know if you had a Tumblr. But, oh gosh, like Tumblr was such a dangerous place because if you find uh, the part of Tumblr, the part of the internet that reinforces what you're feeling, it just digs you in a deeper hole. So I found the part of Tumblr that was like sad, like everything was black, white, and gray and life was sad and my parents suck and cry, 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 you know. Um, not to invalidate that experience, obviously it was very real, but that's all that I had at that at that time. I just had people that were going through the same thing. So I felt less alone, but it wasn't helping me get better or improve, right? Yeah, because um, you're, you're, it's like that saying of like, you're trauma bonding. You're staying within that space, yeah. Exactly, exactly. I was pretty much stuck. Um, but then I started to just make myself busy with people, with activities. I went to a different school. I started to take some classes about psychology. So in a way, I guess it was selfish for me too, to kind of want to learn more about what's going on in my, in my mind, what's going on internally. Um, but again, for me, I guess a really big influencing factor in my journey, in my mental illness, my mental wellness, my health in general, is my relationships with with other people. So if my relationships are strained or causing me stress, it has a really big toll on me. Um, So my journey is limited by how my relationships are going. It's like if I'm not having a good time with my parents, for example, like it really does take a big toll on me personally. And I'll try to fix it, but it can't be one-sided. Your parents have to want to have that conversation as well. They have to be open to discussing, you know, what they did four or five years ago and why it's still having a toll on you. They need to to reach that point where it's not about placing blame. It's about having a constructive conversation so that we can both grow and that our relationship can develop. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm still very much invested in learning more and having those kinds of conversations because I do have younger siblings. Mm -hmm. My parents are still my parents and I'm hoping to continue to grow in our relationship and grow in our understanding yeah no that's I relate to especially the last part a lot um with my parents because that was the first type of relationship where I had to experience what support or 
validation when it came to mental health looked like, right? Um, when I first was just not well, I remember my parents not understanding it, um, not kind of just like brushing it to the side, you know, like you'll get over it. You're just, you know, yeah. being sensitive, you know, like pray about it. Um, different, like, my dad would do like little traditional things like he would put salt under my pillow because you know traditionally that's supposed to get rid of like any like negative energy and like stuff like that and it's just like I just didn't feel heard and then I eventually learned to self-soothe or to just deal with it myself but that was my idea of like okay well the world doesn't understand you know what I mean maybe I'm weird maybe I'm crazy maybe they're right so I think that relationship with your caregivers has a big toll on how you see the world and the type of, um, and how validated you feel like you can be when it comes to your mental health. So after that, I kind of wanted to be the opposite. I wanted to validate people's experiences. I wanted them to know, mm -hmm. you're not weird. You're not, you know, there's nothing wrong with you, quote unquote, for feeling this is actually a very human experience. It's a very common experience and not talking about it is actually making it worse. And my motivation is my younger siblings too, because like you said, developmentally, like everyone has a form of mental health. Mental health disorders are definitely developed or triggered when we're younger. Um, and then can be, uh, they kind of take manifestation in our earlier um, adulthood. When it comes to my younger siblings, I didn't want them to develop unhealthy coping mechanisms that I mm -hmm developed so I'm just super aware of it as well like I'll be like okay like when you're crying I'm not gonna make you feel like crying is a weakness or crying is not a healthy release like I'd rather you cry than you know do other things so I think um just my relationship with my family kind of set the tone of what I need from others and what I kind of want to be for others as well um, but it's obviously, I'm still, no, that's really powerful. What you need and what you want to be. That's amazing, actually. But it's a lot of pressure. <laughs> oh, God, I'm still learning. I'm still learning. And, um, yeah, it's, it's still a journey, but I definitely think, um, our family plays a big part in that. Um, which kind of brings me to my next point and it kind of ties into what I was just saying, but in general, what is a, good friend look and feel like to you I don't know if we ever were taught that like I think I just like innately kind of knew mm -hmm. but everyone's definition is a little different so I kind of want to know yours I have a really to be like totally transparent and put all my business out there I have a very rocky history of friendships a lot of my friendships with people that I was closest to have always been temporary in a way because they've ended you know like whatever best friend I had throughout high school you know at some point whether it was I think it was like when I was about to graduate we just stopped being friends mm -hmm. and I don't really know what a good friend looks like for me like a person who's a good who would be a good friend to me looks like I was always just trying to be the best friend to anyone who needed a friend so that's what my dad will will tell me all the time I just like I like being there for people I like having people rely on me but at some point you want to have someone you can rely on as well so at some point in the friendship I would realize okay yes I've been trying to do a, B, C, D, E, F, G for this person. And now I finally got to a point 
after letting all these things slide or all these issues, like I just let all these things go. But at this point I need, you know, I'm going to skip A, B, C, D, E, F. I don't know if they can give me the basics, the fundamentals, because I haven't asked for that. I haven't expected that. Mm-hmm. Now I need these core things and they're not able to give that to me. Mm-hmm. I don't think I can be friends with this person anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's a big flaw that I have personally in, in my friendships and my relationships, always wanting to be the giver. And then at some point when I feel like I want to be a taker just for something really important, and not being able to get that, I'm like, okay, well, this person can't give me this bare minimum. Why am I friends with them? Um, but now that I'm older, now that I recognize that about myself, I'm 24, you know, like I have incredible friends, some that I met in university, I'm still friends with. Um, what our relationships look like and what what makes their friendship with me good or what makes them amazing friends is their willingness to understand, their willingness to have open dialogue, they're just as much of a giver as I am, if if not more. Um, but that doesn't mean that I see that as an opportunity to take from them. Mm-hmm. So me being giving to them, they don't see that it as an opportunity to take from me. They want to just give just as much. So like a lot of reciprocity. Reciprocity is the foundation of any good friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, and anytime I have had a conflict, we were able to resolve it. So mm-hmm. seeing a conflict with the, a good friend as an opportunity to grow and learn rather than, um, you know, to point the finger, place blame and make sure that you can walk away with a relationship, like from the relationship, sorry. Um, you know, like with your hands clean, like, Oh, I didn't do anything wrong. This person did this, 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 this. So I was a good friend. They were a bad friend. That's why this relationship ended. Um, you know, having that sense of accountability, the willingness to understand, willingness to have a conversation, even if you don't understand taking, taking the time to check in on this person and make sure that they're in a good good space, that they feel good. All the friends that I have now, alhamdulillah, that I've had for a long time, I've had a conflict with every single one of them and we worked through it. Yeah. So that definitely was a sign of growth for me personally because I didn't see the conflict as a sign that the relationship is over. I saw it as an opportunity for us to prove our friendship to each other. Mm-hmm. So, that's kind of my history with that. I love that. As you said that, and my mom used to tell me this when I was younger. She's like, a friendship is defined not because you don't fight. It's defined by being able to fight with someone and still be friends with them. You know, if, you, if you've never had a conflict with someone, chances are someone's not being honest or there's, you know, you're overlooking something because a real relationship has conflict, you know, but it also has solutions and it has dialogue and conversation. Absolutely. So I think that you guys have had conflicts just shows that it is a very healthy relationship. Um, my, my, um, my, I have a similar, very similar history with friendships that like, or even just relationships in general, like I'm so comfortable with being the giver that I like, don't even consider like what someone can give me. Like mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, let me just give to you because yeah. you're you letting me. You don't need anything. Yeah. And you're letting me. Yeah, exactly. Because I'm so self-sufficient and I can self-soothe for the most part mm-hmm. that I don't really need much from someone, which mm-hmm. is not good because that's not, that creates such an um, unhealthy dynamic from jump. So like I play a role in that already. Um, but kind of like you, my, my standard is my best friend and, she definitely taught me the definition of like friendship and also like what love looks like. Um, and that, that obviously hopefully will inshallah like 
go into like romantic relationships when I like my standard but I always tell her like our friendship was not perfect in terms of like we, we obviously fought but um we both have been there for each other regardless of those situations and like I even in like dreams like I always tell her like I'll have nightmares and the first person or the place I run to is to her in those dreams and I know mm-hmm. and I know that no matter what like she has me and vice versa and we've known each other since we were like 12 or 13 and um the reason that the friendship is so important to me is because even when I, when I went through my mental health uh, my first like depressive episode I was not fun to be around Mm-hmm. And we were young and she didn't really have the knowledge of how to be a friend to someone who was just not easy to be a friend to, mm-hmm. you know, and that kind of pushed her away. And I definitely played a part in that because I wasn't, I just wasn't a fun person and she kind of ran away from that. So that strained our, our relationship. But what I would say define the friendship is, you know, after whatever amount of time that was, she came back and was like, I... I'm so sorry. I just did not know how to be a good friend to you at the time. Mm-hmm. And I've learned and I want to be a friend, a better friend. And like, because she took accountability and I took accountability as well by saying like, I was a shitty person, to be honest, to be around. We both learned and helped each other become better friends in that new season of life. And now we're adults and we definitely have helped each other like learn and not hold those things against each other. Cause like, how would she have known, you know, at the time? And how would I have known what I needed? I didn't even know like what I was doing. So um, I, it's not that I expect someone to know from jump. I just expect someone to be like, Hey, like, I actually don't know. What do you need for me? Kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that took a lot of growth and most people can't really do that. They're just probably like, yo, like you're too much. That's it. Like, I don't want to be your friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was more of like her being like, I, kind of ran away because I was overwhelmed but like I love you and I want to be your friend so what do you need from me you know like that takes a lot so um yeah she's so important to me and I love her ties into like what I wanted to ask you what do you feel like you need because I feel like because we're so given we don't ask for anything mm-hmm. but I've had to learn like what do I need you know like I literally will ask myself like what do I need what do I require from friends like what do you think you've needed when you are going through something or just even like a struggling time what do you feel like you need or should ask for so like I'm similar to you in the sense where I just keep everything to myself and I don't like asking for things just because I feel like you know I I I have myself I'm very blessed you know I have all these things I should I should be happy I should be content I am happy I am content I'm very capable of dealing with things um but you know I have so much more to give other people so let me be what this person is missing Mm -hmm. in their life so that they feel full. Mm-hmm. Um, but that in itself is draining. So when I when I have gone to a point where I feel like I need um, I need something, like I need some sort of support or I need someone to lend an ear, um, it's just the first and the biggest hurdle for me was getting to the point where I was going through something and I just, I should not just keep it to myself. Mm-hmm. Like I have good friends. I should give them the opportunity to be a good friend to me. Mm-hmm. So I can call this person and I can let them know, hey, this is what's happening. I'm just really sad right now. I'm having trouble crying about it to get it off my chest. Can I just talk to you? Or just, you know, 
you know, this is what's happening. Are you free? Can we just have a conversation? Can we go for a walk? Can we have a coffee? Whatever. And giving them the opportunity to prove themselves as a friend to me. I never really gave people that chance. I kind of would just call and maybe they'd be busy. And then I'm like, okay, well, this person's too busy for me, or this person doesn't really care about what's going on in my life. Right. So I wasn't really fair to, to them. Like maybe going back, I should have given people a better opportunity to be a better friend to me. Um, and relationships maybe wouldn't have ended the way that they did, but everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Regardless, you can't change the past. Um, so that was the biggest hurdle for me. And then now the second hurdle, smaller hurdle, but still, you know, pretty, pretty significant mm-hmm. is just because you get to a point where you're like, okay, I can share, um, you know, my truest emotions, my rawest emotions with this person doesn't mean that person's not going to check you. So if I'm calling a friend to complain, <laughs> as I do, I'm calling to complain about a situation that I had with someone that's really bothering me or really upsetting me. I have one of my closest friends, um, who will hear me out, let me get it off my chest. And then when I'm ready, check me for what I did. Mm. She'll literally be like, okay, but like, why did you do that? Mm. You shouldn't have done that. And I'm like, I know that you're right. And now that I've kind of gotten over the being hurt and I was sad about it and I was angry about it and that's what justified it. No, I was, I was, I had every right to be sad. I had every right to be upset, but this part, that happened was wrong. I should go back to this person and I should apologize. Mm -hmm. So that was the second hurdle, realizing that in your hurt, in your pain, in whatever it is that you're going through, um, doesn't erase what the other person in the situation is going through as well. So get everything out there in the open, but allow yourself to be held accountable. Allow someone to let you know, hey, like what you did was kind of whack. The same way that you want someone to be receptive of your criticism of them, of of your honesty, of you know whatever it is that you have to say, you should be that in return. Like that ties back into the principle of, of reciprocity, which is like my favorite word. It's like a guiding fundamental of my life. Um, yeah, th- those are like the two major things that I needed to learn. And I'm still learning. Um, I am pretty stubborn. So like, it's not like I can't, I can't, it's not like I can't hear people tell me that what I did was wrong. I can, you can tell me what I did was wrong. It just might take me a day to like, be like, yeah, you're right. You know? Like, yeah. As long as you're even like listening, you know, and just hearing them out, I think that's already important because most people be like, ah, I don't want to hear it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's your opinion kind of thing. Um, you said something at the beginning and I had to write it down because I was like, this is me. Um, I do the same thing. I do not give people the opportunity to be my friend in Mm -hmm. terms of like, people will be my friend, but I don't give them the opportunity to be a friend to me. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There was a point where I was like, I'm so sad, but I don't know how to tell people that I'm sad because Mm -hmm. they're not used to like that dynamic with me. Like, to even be like, hey, like, do you mind if we talk? Or, hey, I'm not okay. Like, I don't even know how to have those conversations with people. I've Mm -hmm. only done it with my sister and then my best friend. So, to even, and that was like, you know, years in the making, obviously, like years and years. So, to start that, I don't even know how to do that. And it's like, that is definitely something that I need to work on. Like, I don't know how to have those conversations or to start that dialogue from my perspective. But for others, I can do it all the time. I could be like, hey, like, are you okay? Like, you know, I'm great at that. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I do agree with, um, there also needs to be a friend that holds you accountable. I think someone who always, you know, is a, you don't want yes men around you all the time. You know, you want people who to be like, yeah, like, uh, you know, I hear you, I validate what you're feeling, but you know, like you shouldn't like, that isn't the best for you or, you know, what you did was also hurtful to this, could have been hurtful to this person. Or did you think of it in this perspective? Like my sister's really good at that with keeping it like very honest with me and being like, yeah, but like, did you ever think that maybe they looked at it this way? And I'd be like, mm-hmm. yeah, but like, I feel like this. She's like, okay, but like, did you ever think that they would <laughs> yeah. be like, all right, like true. And you know, mm-hmm. like, I think that is also a sign of love. Like someone who doesn't just agree with you all the time um, and is able to hold you accountable, what's the best for you? Mm-hmm. Um, because if you're letting me <clears throat> run myself into the ground and you're just agreeing with me, I don't think you really care about me. Yeah. So um, I think that's also a huge thing when it comes to friendship holding people accountable. There's not, yeah. it's not a bad I find disagreements, very isolating though. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it depends on what you're equipped with. Like what communication skills are you equipped with that if you are going to go and have a conversation with someone, if they don't agree with you, mm-hmm. you feel like, oh, okay, like you're not a good friend because you're not really seeing my side of things. There's a way to conduct yourself in the conversation. And I have had moments where like, I'm like knee deep in like, getting everything off my chest, like in my rant or whatever. And then the other person's like, okay, but like, I don't know why you did this. I don't know why you said this. I don't know why you did that. And I'm just like, wait, like, can you just make me feel better first before you tell me what I did wrong? You know, like, and there's no harm in communicating that. So I had to pause and be like, okay, well, hold on. Like, I don't want, like, I'm not even telling you what it is that I'm upset about. I'm not even finished with my story per se. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like you reading the first page of a book and having a conclusion on the main character. Like, yeah, they were trash. You know, like, can we get to at least the climax first <laughs> before you tell me your opinion? Yes. Um, I've had that. And those kinds of conversations are a little bit more difficult mm-hmm. because again, people are equipped with different skills. Not everyone's going to know how to comfort you. Not everyone's going to know how to check you or how to hold you accountable. Um, those are things that maybe require more work. And depending on how invested you are in that relationship, you may or may not want to put in that kind of work. Right. But again, it depends on that other person. If they're willing to adapt to what you need, and if you're willing to adapt to what they need, then the relationship can move forward. But I don't know if you're like this with like, with, you know, your sisters or um, your, your close friend, I can only have certain conversations with certain people. Mm-hmm. There are some people that I know if I go to them about this thing, they're just not going to get it. Yeah. They're not going to understand. Um, maybe they're going to hate me for what I said or what I did or hate me for how I handled a situation. So it's not like I don't want to tell them, but I know that I'm not going to get what I need from this person. I'm going to go to person B or C instead. And then maybe in a couple of days or in a couple of weeks, when I see person A, I can let them know, oh, by the way, this happened. Mm-hmm. But not having reached out to them for the support that I felt like I needed at the time. Mm-hmm. That's something that I had to learn as well. Like to pick and choose. Not everybody has to know everything. Yeah. That's a big one too. Um, for different reasons. I think, uh, not that I don't want people to judge me, but I want people to know the whole story and I want someone to know me first. So when you hear the story, you're like, okay, like I already know why you did the things you did because of this 
past situation because of this, because of your upbringing, because I know this is how things trigger you. Like you've already know, you know, the dots, you know, my intentions are always pure and my heart's in the right place. So I don't have to explain that background story. Um, and I feel like that's why I end up sticking to like my sisters and my friend, because it's like, mm-hmm. they've known everything that's built up to maybe how I, to why I'm even crying about something so irrelevant, you know, they'll understand mm-hmm. the depth and the heaviness to why I'm like starting to cry over something. And they'll be like, like, we get it. You don't even have to tell us versus like, um, you know, telling someone and having to explain yourself is sometimes a little hard because it's just like backtracking and trying to validate yourself. Like no one wants to validate themselves when they're upset already. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely agree. And I also think people have different experiences and, Unfortunately, um, we tend to project our experiences onto others sometimes when we, when um, all people want to do is be heard versus um, being told um, advice. Most people don't really need advice. Most people know what they want to do, I think, unless they verbalize like, hey, I need help. Most people just want to be heard. But um, a lot of people take that as invitation to give advice or project like their experiences. And it's like, I don't really want to take on your trauma right now. I just want you to hear me and validate that it's okay to be upset. Um, And I think that that sometimes is, I have to also be mindful of it too. I'm like, let me not make this person hate the world because I had this negative experience too. Like our our lives are very different, you know? Um, But that's, I think that takes self-awareness on both ends. This kind of ties us to the idea of like we know what we would want or we're starting to learn about what we want from others. But I know that being a friend, as good as we've been in terms of giving, it can it's always a challenge regardless. And I've definitely uh, struggled with this. But what do you think has been the biggest struggle in being a support system to someone who is going through a mental health? Um, struggle or even just a loss or any type of hardship? What do you think most people struggle with? It could be you personally or just in general. Um, I even wrote some notes like common, but we'll talk about it. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's still something that I'm trying to to learn and figure out, like holding myself accountable or allowing other people to hold me accountable is one thing. But, you know, finding the nerve you know, not really, maybe that's not the right way to say it, but, you know, finding the confidence or the right time or seeking an opportunity to let someone know how you feel, um, to confront them, or just want to have a constructive conversation about how you feel like they treated you. That's something that I'm not very good at because I tend to be very forgiving. I tend to let just things go. I do want to understand where this person is coming from. If I reached out to someone else to talk about it and they explained their perspective to me, then I'll have some sort of understanding. And then now I'm focusing on just forgiving. Mm-hmm. I'm focusing on forgiveness. But that will limit my growth because we're not having a conversation about how we can change things in the future so that this doesn't repeat itself, right? And you that the person that you want to have a conversation with needs to have that same sense of wanting to be held accountable and wanting to learn and wanting to grow Mm -hmm. and if they don't have that it's really limiting Mm -hmm. but again people will get used to how you treat them you lay the foundation of of how people expect you to treat them if you are very giving and very forgiving Mm -hmm. that's what they come to expect so even when they are going through something 
They're expecting you to be as giving as you were before. They're expecting you to be as forgiving as you were before. And when you're not, you're acting different. Mm -hmm. You're a bad friend. You're, you know, not really being what they need, but they're not understanding that you can't give them what it is they're asking for right now. Maybe they're asking for too much. Maybe you have something else going on that you gave all of your energy to and you're just spent, right? So something that we were talking about and I think what like you know started this whole conversation and I love the the talks that we have they're so fruitful and I always walk away feeling so full and like I've learned something new and I have a new perspective on life but um you know being a good friend to someone who is mentally unwell or just going through their own bout of mental illness or you know mental health and how can you hold them accountable for things that they have done when they're going through something? And can you even hold them accountable for things that they've done when they're going through something, right? Like after I do something, I will be more than willing to hear someone tell me that they felt a type of way of what I did. Mm -hmm. And I feel so strongly about hurting you or upsetting you that I do want to make it better. I want to seek your forgiveness. I want to apologize and, you know, heal whatever has been broken, so to speak. Not everybody has that, not and, and I'm understanding of that fact, and I'm not expecting everybody to be that way, but no accountability at all, I can't really tolerate. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, is going through something excusable? Like, does that make everything excusable? Am I not being a good friend because I can't let this thing go, even though it really is bothering me or it really did hurt my feelings or it really is not sitting well with me? So like I start to question myself and doubt myself and my actions. And then, you know, maybe we and you will have a conversation or I'll have a conversation with another friend and they're like, no, you do need to set a boundary. Mm -hmm. So that's what it will move to. Now I'm not expecting this person to be a great friend to me, but I want them to understand that I kind of just need my space right now. Mm -hmm. That's how I'll move forward or be able to remove myself from the situation so that I'm no longer getting hurt. Mm -hmm. So right now you can't make things better. You can't apologize for what you did. You don't even understand or um, want to understand what happened. So instead of expecting something that I just cannot get, I want to stop being hurt. So now I'm drawing this line. Please don't cross it. Please at least respect this line that I've drawn. And then, you know, maybe in the future, we can have a conversation about things that have happened in the past. But it's still... A struggle because then people will come back into your life and try to act like everything is normal. But there's this huge elephant in the room that you just cannot ignore because you are waiting for the opportunity to have a conversation. But although this person is down to have a conversation, they don't want to have a conversation about the elephant in the room. They want to have a conversation about their day. They want to talk about things that they have planned. They want your support. They want you to go back to being, you know, 110% their friend Mm -hmm. and are not really willing to have those kinds of conversations. So I don't really know. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm trying my best. Sometimes, you know, your best is not enough, but you can't be everything for everyone mm. That's okay. and as much as you want to repair relationships mm. it goes both ways and if someone like you're what, what is your idea of repairing a relationship for me my idea of repairing a relationship is like now we both understand the situation I understand your perspective you understand my perspective mm. if there's an issue it's out in the open we talked it out and we can move forward mm. for other people, and this is how I was in the past, actually, 
when I was upset, I wouldn't have a conversation. I would just try to be by myself and get over it by myself. I'm literally the same. Right? Like, I would just try to get over it by myself. Like, I'm not trying to talk to you about it. I'm kind of annoyed at you right now. But, like, give me a couple days. I'll get over it. But then the next time something happens, all these old feelings resurface because we never address them at this point in time. That's a really big flaw of mine. Something I've been working on. Something, alhamdulillah, like I've I've improved on significantly. Um, but again, like some people are still like that. They will just wait for you to fizzle out. They'll wait for you to stop being mad. Um, and then they'll come and talk to you. Just like, just like I was when I was a kid and I needed something from my mom, but she's mad. I'm going to wait for her to stop being mad and then go to her and be like, hey, can I have $2? I want to get ice cream. Yeah. Right. Like wait for the opportunity for her to be in a good mood. But when you're an adult mm-hmm. and you want to only move forward with strong foundational relationships like I get it, we're both young, but the way that we conduct ourselves in relationships now are a sign of how we will conduct ourselves in relationships in the future, potentially relationships with our life partners, mm-hmm. right? So if I can't have a constructive conversation with you and I'm allowing you to still be in my life, what does that say about what kind of what I'm willing to tolerate in the future? Yeah, I'm so, so sure. it's a lot of learning, and I still do not have the answer. I. I literally do not. As you as you were talking, I was like writing like, I was like, ooh, this is good. This is good. I'm like writing notes. Um, <laughs> but I, I definitely want to touch on it too, just because it's I'm definitely learning and it's something that has challenged me. The biggest thing is a lot of um, people close to me will know that mental health is like my soft spot, you know, because that's usually, I'm usually the person like that door is always open most people who don't necessarily know where to start to talk about that conversation, they feel comfortable coming to me because I've always been comfortable with that, um, with that type of dialogue. So it's um, easy to have that conversation. Doesn't mean that, um, yeah, so it's easy to have that conversation with me and I'm very understanding. If not, I'm, I'm overly understanding when it comes to mental health because I didn't feel understood, you know? So that is almost to a flaw. I become, I, not that I excuse behaviors, but I justify behaviors because I'm like, okay, like they weren't well. Now, the thing is, um, and that you said was, um, where do we draw boundaries? And boundaries is a huge thing for me. Um, just in general, like this is something that I have to work on. It's not something I've been always very good at is boundaries when it comes to not abandoning myself and the work that I made sure to do for myself to make sure that I was okay. Because to ultimately be a good friend, you need to be good to yourself and make sure that you're okay. I can't lose myself or, um, you know, hurt myself in the expense of making sure you're all right. Cause now I'm, it's a disservice to myself and to our friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, and boundaries has been a huge thing. Now accountability as well on both ends, I think is important because I shouldn't have to, um, neglect accountability or just write off accountability because I'm saying, quote unquote, like you went through this, therefore I'm not going to hold you accountable. When I truly see someone so highly that they are, if I see someone highly, I know that they are aware to be self-aware, to want better for themselves, to able to, you know, just like we've spoken about our journeys, like we've been self-aware, we know moments that we weren't, you know, the funnest person to be around and we had flaws, but we were still accountable. We're talking about it right now. We're being accountable of those situations. Um, And we had to learn, we had to grow. 
and that takes time. And then with that comes um, genuine apology, forgiveness and all that. And same thing, like with my friend, I know at the time, we both didn't know how to be good friends to each other. And it wasn't like we had one conversation and we were friends again. It literally took multiple struggling conversations, but both of us were attempting to be accountable in every conversation. It wasn't like blaming each other. And I think that was really, really why we were able to get over that um, is because that person took 100% accountability and I took accountability as well and took time to understand and took time to heal and took time to become better so that they could come back and be a better friend for me and vice versa. Um, I don't think you can truly be sorry or apologetic if you haven't fully done the self-reflection and the work. Because now it's just, you're just being sorry because you're trying to fast forward the progress. The process. Um, and it takes time, but it definitely, apologizing I Apologizing for the sake of apologizing is, yeah. It, I understand when it's maybe necessary, like when a little kid is yeah. like, oh, I hurt myself and you just want to say sorry, 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 just to make them yeah. feel better. But yeah. it's a really cheap bandaid to put on a conflict. Yeah, exactly. And it kind of, it mirrors almost like, what I do and you said you do as well of like brushing it under the rug like that builds up it's gonna come out in the end you know it doesn't build a strong foundation um and really and truly I think mental health is a spectrum there's obviously some situations that are beyond our control even medically you know what I mean like um when it comes to like extreme like psychosis or um schizophrenia in situations like that but I still hold individuals who have access to resources or medication to take those medications because they are now not only at harm for themselves, but other people around them. Um, it, it's like, this is an extreme example, but like in situations where uh, those people commit heinous crimes because of um, because they're in a psychosis state or a schizophrenic state, they're still held accountable and still have repercussions to those acts even mm -hmm. though they weren't aware yes the repercussions are geared to hopefully help them as well um, it doesn't take away the fact that they did certain things um, and I've done it too like I know I was horrible to my family when I was going through um, my depression and I as soon as I was like out of it like instantly just the most guilt and I was like that is not me it was definitely like this played a part, but doesn't take away that I hurt you, you know, and I think yeah. that's important. Um, but it's such a, it's so hard because you love this person. You want to be patient, but you also need to know the boundary of like, when does patience become, um, there's a word, um, enabling. Mm -hmm. And that's not love, you know, and enabling is not a version of love. So you want to hold people accountable. Um, and boundaries we kind of were talking about, I think is important too. And it's something that I, I said too, as a form of self-love and, and it's also a form of showing people that you love them. It's like, I hold you to the standard, you know, because I see you in this way. Therefore, I don't expect you to, um, to kind of cross this boundary at the same time and I hold myself in this way therefore I expect you to respect this boundary and if it's crossed therefore um I'm not just going to take it because regardless I have to make sure my mental health is good too and I think that's an important thing like we can't expect people to 
um, sacrifice their well-being for us. Like that's an extreme, even in a family situation. I think sometimes that's important to remember. I know with family, sometimes you want to like, you're willing to give up your mental health for your family. And it's like, that's such a, that is very tricky for me. You don't realize how detrimental that is until years down the line. Yeah. It's like, I mean, culturally, you know, the mother bears the emotional mm-hmm. burden, um, but like it takes a really big toll. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've heard of situations or I've, I've seen it with families where it's just like now, you know, if, if my, if my mother, for example, were to go through that, like, and if she doesn't get therapy, like I'm worried for what's going to happen to her in the next two to three years. Yeah. It's just too much of a burden and it's just absolutely unfair. Nobody should have to do that. But culturally, you know, back in the day, I would say it was like an expectation, but it's definitely an unrealistic expectation for anyone in this day because there's just too much that everybody is going through. Nobody wants to be at 20% so that you can be at 100%. That's not fair. It's incredibly selfish. Mm-hmm. You know, people are selfless, but you shouldn't be selfless to the point where it's detrimental to your health and your well-being. It just doesn't make sense because now you're hurting yourself and why would you why would you do that or why would you allow someone to do that it's just like I had a situation with a friend I'm never going to forget so what happened is like I was a second year I was expanding my friend circle I really wanted to meet a bunch of new people it's kind of going off on a tangent but um it's just to show like how some people are yeah. so I at that point didn't have a job my, my parents were supporting me I would get an allowance here and there um, but I was tutoring a little bit on the side. Um, so I would have some money, but not a lot. And I just had a friend that I just liked taking care of. I just liked, you know, like if I'm buying myself a meal, I would like to buy him a meal as well. And he would just say, um, you know, okay, well, these are the toppings that I like. So I would get him like a burrito bowl with those toppings. Um, but then I would get what I can afford, which is the smaller size. I would get, you know, I wouldn't add guac. I wouldn't add all these additional things of like another two, three, four dollars. And then our meals combined were, let's say, like eleven, twelve dollars, whatever. Mm-hmm. I can afford that. That's why, you know, maybe I'm pushing it a little bit because I don't have a job, but mm-hmm. I can do this. And then I had a friend overhear me asking him for his order and call me and say, Well, why didn't you ask me what I wanted? Mm. And I was like, I don't understand. Like, you want something? She's like, yeah, this is what I want. This is the size that I want. These are the toppings that I want. I want to add this and I want this drink. And I was just like, I like, am I a walking ATM? Like, just because mm-hmm. I want to be like, people see you as giving and they want that. People mm-hmm. see an opportunity to take. People are, can be very opportunistic. Mm-hmm. The same thing can happen if you, again, like if you don't set that boundary, people will continue to expect and demand things from you that maybe you just can't give them. And you don't want to put yourself in that case. I don't want to put myself in a financial deficit, but you don't want to put yourself in an emotional or mental deficit either. Mm-hmm. You like, fine, maybe it's something that you are equipped to recover from. Like you have the skills to make yourself feel better after being emotionally spent. But being emotionally spent time and time and time again makes you exhausted, like almost permanently exhausted. Just like, you know, being in a financial deficit time and time again hurts your credit score. How much more your well-being, how much more your health? People can't bounce back the same. Yeah, it's so true. And I don't know why that reminded me of, um, so a lot of my relationships, or romantic relationships, I was attracted to emotionally unavailable men. 
Mm-hmm. And I often felt like, oh my, and I think it's because of that desire to want to give and that uh, end of like that person being so willing to take. So I was like, oh my gosh, you don't know emotional awareness and health. Like, let me teach you. I'm mm-hmm. going to do so mentally well. So I was giving them all these tips, these resources, really pouring into them, making sure that, you know, their mental and, and um, emotional health was like, a newfound like they just like like whoa like I didn't know I could feel emotions and I was allowed to do this and it's like amazing and then I show emotions like punched you know what I mean it's like this extreme like um polarizing polarization of like Mm -hmm. giving but not being able to receive it as well extremely fatiguing and it's not fruitful at all It, it obviously has an end it will end at some point And also I noticed that if I do something for someone, it's not really helping them in the long term because once I remove that source, which is myself, are they able to do it themselves? It's like, no, give someone the resources, but don't do it for them. You know what I mean? It's like people will take from you, but it's like, you also have to establish this boundary. I I had, um, I have a friend and she's doing my roommate too. And she did a really good job of like, we we were in the same program everything and instead of just giving me the answers she would kind of like be like explain it to me and then let me figure it out and I think that is also a really important way to sometimes approach um just friendships in general it's like not doing it for themselves someone everyone is so capable of like you know of um you know advocating for themselves or if they need, need help you can speak up for them but it's like once you're gone you've almost created this like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, this, I'm looking for a word. You've enabled them and you've created like this, but basically people will always rely on you if you do not let them be autonomous. And that, mm-hmm. that was um, my, my problem. Um, but what I wanted to bring up is we both kind of did research on different things that we thought would be helpful um, to support someone who is going through mental health and someone that we care about. Um, I'll read some. If you have any, please add. Um, I think this conversation is so important because we don't necessarily talk about it. Like I just, you're probably one of the only people I've discussed this with other than like my sister and then my other friend. So um, I think looking back and just in terms of myself to reflecting um knowing the signs that someone is going through something is super important um especially if someone's suffering in silence this could be life-changing for someone um and educating ourselves i think education can also remove stigma instead of um belittling someone because they're showing emotion or because they're acting out in a way or you see someone's behavior change and they're always out partying or you know, and you can tell that these aren't healthy, it's not a healthy lifestyle, chances are they're going through something. And it's just being aware and understanding, like you said, creates compassion. And I think that is super important. Um, I think even the way we approach conversations are important. Um, Something that my friend would do instead of being like, I think you should um, look up, I don't know, like therapists should be like, okay, well, why don't we look up like different resources? So it makes you feel less like all this is on you and you're by yourself and this person's telling you what you need to do. It's like, okay, no, like you have support. I'm here Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm here to help you. And, you know, you have a support system. So not isolating them. 
Um, and it, just as small as like s- switching I to we or um, it, just in delivery, I think really makes a difference. Um, and just discussing resources, you don't have to be the source of the healing. I think that can be very dangerous and codependent. Um, but offering resources, even just being like, a lot of people will message me and be like, hey, like I'm going through this, this, this. One, I'm not a professional yet. And at the same time, even if I was, I'm not in a place to give everyone help. You know, we all have our own tank. So mm-hmm. being like, thank you for reaching out. Here are resources that are ready and able to help you. I think sometimes that is important to know, um, to not overexert. Um, and then conversations, even just having this podcast, I think is what has helped me destigmatize the conversation. So people feel able to, you know, go to their friends and talk about like, Hey, like I'm not feeling okay. Um, you know, or even I've had a long conversation with men and how they approach each other, you know, when they aren't feeling well, cause that's also a whole other conversation. It's like women tend to have more intimate conversations around emotions and how we're feeling even if it doesn't always we kind of miss that like we overlook that whole conversation with mental health we sometimes you know we'll find ourselves to have at least that one friend where men don't even have that so I think having conversations is super important important and um patience and compassion I think are huge understanding that like everyone's going through something whether Mm -hmm. you're the one going through it or not um I think being patient on a friend to understand what you need is important and then being patient on someone who is going through something you know not writing people off I think we are so quick to just be like oh you no longer serve me you're not my friend it's like no it's it's very cutthroat out here (laughs) cutthroat and I think um we need to practice a lot more patience a lot more compassion, but at the same time, you know, make sure that boundaries are established, mm-hmm. but it is very much about, um, yeah, like it's not always going to be perfect. It's not about overexerting ourselves and trying to save the whole world, but it's also yeah. just giving people the space. I think holding space for people is the most important thing um, when it comes to being a good friend or ally. Mm-hmm. Um, There's things like, you know, just to go off the points that you've made and just a little bit of the research that I had done, there's things that you can do in an attempt to be a good friend to someone who's going through something, but it just doesn't translate. Like, um, you know, if someone that I know or something that I care about deeply is going through or was recently diagnosed with, or they're just struggling with something and I take the time to go and learn about it so that I can just be more aware. And just next time I talk to this person, I'll be, I'll have a better understanding of what they're going through. That's, that's work that I'm putting in. That's not really directly translating mm-hmm. um, right then and there. Like, I'm not going to be like, Hey, this is the book that I read so that I can be a, a better friend to you. Those are skills that I'm trying to equip myself with so that I can be a better friend period. That doesn't really mean that now I have another another tank that I can, you know, as you're saying, give you from now this tank of my knowledge and my awareness that you can take from. It's not really the same. And the only thing that I would add to being patient and compassionate is, you know, you would also, you also really need to be considerate because of course, you know, friendships require or relationships require a lot of reciprocity. And it's a beautiful thing for you to want to be there for someone else. And of course, you want them to be there for you. But be considerate of the fact that right now, in the depth of it, 
this person cannot be there for you right now. That doesn't make them a bad friend. Mm -hmm. Exercise some understanding and some consideration and maybe try to get what you're looking for from someone else. And just because they couldn't give this to you right now, don't hold that against them. Um, That's like one side of the coin. But the other side of the coin is like, let's say this person is behaving in a way that is offensive or behaving in a way that is hurting you and having a direct impact on your day-to-day life. But you can't have a conversation about that like you normally would because they're going through something. So you're being patient, you're being understanding, you're being considerate, you're waiting for that time, you're waiting for that opportunity to have that conversation so that you can move forward. You also need to understand that maybe you are not going to have that time to have that conversation because maybe they don't have the skills, you know, to or the desire really to discuss things that happened when they were going through it. Maybe you're bringing up past trauma that they don't really want to remember. So, you know, you kind of reevaluate your position as a friend in those kinds of relationships. And you have to, as you were saying, establish a different boundary because sometimes our ability to be a good friend to others is really limited. As much as we would love to fix it and as much as we would love to continue to give, um, you have to put a cap on yourself. Mm. You have to limit yourself and your effort because you don't want to expend too much energy. You don't want to give too much knowing, being fully aware that this person is incapable Mm. of returning that. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't give, Mm -hmm. but you really need to limit and redirect where you're putting that energy and try to invest in a situation or in a relationship that is fruitful in the sense that it gives you some sort of return. Does that make you a bad friend? No, I think that makes us human. And I don't think that means that we're not trying. I just think at some point it's unfair of of people who cannot give or cannot address things to keep expecting you to just be there. We're not disposable resources. We're not, um, you know, things that you can just pick up and put back on on a shelf. You know, a friend is a friend. And if you want me to be a good friend, you need to be a good friend. And I am understanding of what you're going through, but that doesn't change the fact that this is how I'm feeling because this is how you're treating me right now. Right. So it's like, that's what I had to learn a lot about. Like in the last, I would say like year and a half, two years, redirecting my energy where not only is it more needed, but where it's more wanted and where I feel like I'll, I won't be spent after giving like it's so that's kind of how I feel about that. Yeah, no, that's so true. You were saying things, and it made me think of two. I'm gonna try and articulate them, but the first point being that um, someone needs the desire to want to be better. You can't want that more for them, um, and that's something that I've struggled with. Sometimes I want to help people become better, or you know, and um, heal, or whether it be you know go into therapy or, you know, dive into their traumas. And it's like, that person has to want that more than you want it for themselves. And if they're comfortable with being in that, whether it's the victim mentality, whether it's in their misery, whether it's in, you know, they're comfortable in that unhappy space and they would rather just discuss that all the time, you have to be mindful of that. I think Trauma bonding is very common. Um, We tend to want to, you know, talk about common, like, 
I don't like the word miseries. I feel like it sounds so dark, but common like um, low points in our lives. And that doesn't necessarily always lead to a fruitful relationship. Sometimes, yeah, like we'll bond over that, but like, what are we going to do about it? I can't want something for you more than you want it for yourself. And I think that is important. And that is a boundary that um, I have to be mindful of. Like, I definitely have to be more mindful of it because I want it so bad for people. But it's like, do you want it? Mm-hmm. Like, did I even consider whether you wanted it as well? And then there's something that I remember my friend, my best friend telling me at a time when I went through something, she's like, you're not a victim. Like, you need to change your mindset to, you know, you're not a victim. And I can see why she would say that. It's like, if you are in that victim mentality, you think things are happening, you want someone to kind of validate that things are happening to you, but without ownership or um, without seeing that you actually have power to, to do something about it. And I think that's kind of her motivating me when she would say that. Um, and I think that's, it's hard to be a friend to someone who wants you to validate their victimization. Like I hundred percent agree. Like there are situations where I will always validate someone going through something like, but it's not about validating, um, you being stuck in that. I think I want you to be better. I want you to have that drive and I can't, um, create that drive for you. Um, and I think that's an important one. Um, sometimes we don't realize we're kind of inhibiting someone if we're just sitting with them all the time talking um and letting them be sad about something it's like let's do something about it uh, mm-hmm. but I also do agree and this is I think my last point with this I'm just drawing on my friendships and what have worked for me mm-hmm. uh, my best friend would always tell me like we will talk about this till you do not want to talk about it anymore um and the reason she would say that to me is because I've been able to do that for her too and I never felt judgment I never felt a burden. I never felt like I had to go through something alone. Um, and I also knew that in those moments when we would talk, we would always come with solutions or, you know, plans. It wasn't just like, yes, yes, I hear you. Like, you're right. Like that shouldn't have happened. It's like, okay, cool. Like you feel like this. Okay. Let's try and think of a different way to to see this or what can we do about this? So they were always constructive conversations, um, versus just validations. Cause after a while, I, I got tired of talking about it and we had all these solutions for it. Um, but yeah, that was, there's just so much. I don't even know. I know what works for me and that's usually what I draw on when I want to help others. Um, but even just having the conversation of like, what do you need from me right now? I think sometimes can be really important. Um, okay. So just to wrap up, I honestly, I'm still learning. Um, I've learned a lot too, even just the last year, um, with my sister being diagnosed with OCD and just figuring out like what, how to even like navigate that and not cross boundaries of being like a sibling versus a parent, like that's a whole other thing. So Mm -hmm. I'll definitely discuss that further in one day, but, um, yeah, is there anything you want to add about this specific topic before we go? Um, no, not not really necessarily. I do want to say thank you for having me. Um, I always love talking to you. I always have such fruitful discussions. Again, like I just from this conversation, I feel like I learned um, so much, you know, actively seeking resources and being a means for people to achieve or reach those resources instead of being the avenue through which they get better. It's you know, a really important thing that's 
didn't really realize that. Um, and it's just a lot to, to reflect on, you know, if you can have these kinds of conversations and reflect Mm -hmm. and see how maybe you handled things in the past, how you could have done it better, how you could have done it differently and how you can take what you learned or what you talked about from this conversation and apply it better. Mm -hmm. Um, that's what I love. And I do think these kinds of conversations are important Mm -hmm. if you want to have good friends, you need to be a good friend. Mm -hmm. That's the most important thing and people have different needs people give and take differently or want different things in relationships so recognize not only what you need but what other people need and whether or not you can give that to them is what i find really important but yeah thank you so much for having me i loved this i am incredibly inspired um and yeah i'm looking forward to more of these chats in the future inshallah yes i'm so excited thanks for Coming. I'm so excited that you were part of this. I know when um I always say this, but I always ask someone, I'm like, hey, like I value your voice. I feel like you have a lot to share. What do you want to talk about? And then we kind of collaborate on what we want to talk about. And it's just so divine. Like I when I started my project, I had like a list of topics that I wanted to discuss. And it's like so it's just crazy how they're just all getting checked off and I'm not even like saying them to people. And it's like, wow, like divine so I really am I love this topic I think it's something that I still want to learn a lot more about um but before we go I always like to end on a like small joy a high note and just something that people can like take away even if it's something small and that brings them happiness but what has brought you joy this week or something you want to celebrate um hmm, what has brought me joy this week I don't know. I like to find, like, I I reflect on on my days Mm -hmm. daily. You know what I mean? So I like to end and try to appreciate random things that have happened to me on a day-to-day basis. A small joy for me this week would probably be just catching up with my dad, um, talking about the next time I'm going to see him. That was a a nice conversation. It was nice. If you guys don't talk to your parents often, try to talk to them more. There's no, I know, I know people have different types of relationships with their parents. My relationship with my parents is definitely a, a rocky one. And that's like a whole other conversation in itself. But um, improving on that relationship is a priority in my life. So anytime I have a good talk with either my mom or my dad, um, it always makes my heart feel feel full. So that was like a small joy for me. <laughs> that's that's really that's a great one actually yeah great one um mine's definitely not nothing compared to that um I was gonna say I'm like loving warm drinks like tea like right now tea has been like so therapeutic for me I don't know Mm -hmm. why um maybe seasons are changing and I know um I did a lot of like research on like um eastern medicine and warm drinks are actually really um, grounding and they're supposed to be really good for just like are you are you experimental with your teas or you have like a fixed Ooh. um I'm definitely experimental but my go-to are ginger like I love ginger tea but like not just since you like not the white people ginger tea like mm-hmm. you know like burns your throat like I like the real ginger tea that you get from like the Asian supermarket mm. um, love that or I get um, just like a black tea, like an orange pico tea, and then I put mm-hmm. milk in it. I love that. So, oh, and matcha. So, like, depends on the mood. If I want to be, I've never been a big tea person, mm-hmm. but 
I'm feeling the warm drinks right now. Like I'm I'm a iced coffee type of person, so now I'm like a latte person with the fall. <laughs> I'm de- I was an ice I'm low key still iced coffee type person, but I want to find something um, to kind of replace that just because obviously it's cold out. Um, mm. And trying to find like alternatives to milk that's been a huge one for me. Um, I love oat milk. I think if you kind of like almond milk but it's not it try oat milk it's a little bit oat milk is the only alternative milk that I can physically tolerate yeah okay see I've tried like, I tried to go vegan for 30 days so in that time yeah in that time I mean I did it in that time I starved practically but um I tried all the different types of like fake cheeses or alternative cheeses and all the milks so I did oat milk soy milk almond milk cashew nut milk there was one more, uh, coconut milk. Mm-hmm. I've tried rice milk. And um, I think that's that's it. I couldn't find um, hazelnut milk. So mm-hmm. I wasn't able to try that. I tried everything. When you try like a nut milk, so like cashew or almond, mm-hmm. I feel like the first couple times it's good, but mm-hmm. you can't really have it too much because you really start tasting the nut. So it affects mm-hmm. the flavor palette of everything that you're having. And oat milk is a more subtle soy milk. Mm-hmm. Like it's more drinkable to me than than soy milk. I can actually drink it. Not that I think it's delicious, but it's, I it's, know it's tolerable. Yeah. I agree too. Soy milk actually makes me break out because it's the hormones apparently in it or something like that. Um, almond milk I just find is very watery, like watered down, like it has a water texture. So I like oat milk personally, um, but I don't drink it. Like, like I always just put it in like tea or coffee, but yeah, damn. I'm so proud of you. I didn't know you ended up doing the flow. Girl, I lost weight because I was hungry. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy, but that's good. At least you know what, you know what? Stuff like that really teaches you what your body um, is resistant to as well. Like you probably notice like, oh, like my body feels better because I'm not eating this and this. Like I've always wanted to do it, but then I'm just like, "Mm, I want pizza. It's hard. It's really hard. Like, I mean, like I'm saying that I starved. I did. It's like I was trying to starve myself, but it was hard for me after like the first two weeks to find time to Mm -hmm. make vegan food. So I would just literally like, there was one day I had so many avocados. So I made guacamole and that's all I ate for the whole entire day, like guacamole and chips. I've done that. Necessarily healthy, but it was vegan. I don't know. I was excited after 30 days to be able to like eat other things, but I'm still trying to limit my meat intake just because I feel like I just eat too much meat. And I did want to see how my skin would react if I was vegan and it reacted pretty well. Mm-hmm. But some people have like a purge, like their skin will break out for a little bit before it kind of calms down. Mm-hmm. So... It totally depends on you and your diet. I think we just need to be more conscious about what we consume. Yeah, I agree. And just notice like what your body is telling you. I know like when I have milk or even certain nuts and like um, chocolate and stuff, my skin's just like, <laughs> you thought I could have it. But yeah, damn. Okay, I feel like this is a whole other conversation. I love it though. Um, yeah. We'll talk more about, I want to ask you about skincare and stuff after, but um thank you again for being on this you're the best absolute pleasure i had a blast you um and we can you repeat where we can find you or where people can see your content 
People can find me on Instagram. I talk about pretty much anything that's on my mind on there, but I do post mostly about fashion um, and kind of makeup, my bird-inspired makeup <laughs> these days. Um, I also have a YouTube channel and I am on TikTok, even though my TikTok is trash. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping to have more of these kinds of conversations, hopefully on my YouTube. I want to have, you know, the big sister chats, Um so yeah, if you guys want to follow me on there, that'd be dope. You can find me at Saad Hassan. Yes, I'll put it on the description. Um, thank you again. And you guys can find us at Call Me Crazy Pod. Um, you can find me at Be For Real. And we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe. And we'll see y'all. Bye. Name one genius that ain't crazy.